This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, March 7th, 2021. Is NXT going to move from Wednesday to Tuesday night? No longer participating in the Wednesday night wars? Could it be? We're now two weeks away from Peacock taking over the U.S. rights to the WWE Network content. Shaquille O'Neal drew a big rating for at least 15 minutes on AEW Dynamite this week. Ticket sales for WrestleMania. We still know nothing about those. But we do know some things about how the NFL's TV rights deals are going. Meanwhile, I've been, you know, I have this spreadsheet that you can get access to through Patreon. And I have been building a Frankenstein-like monster. An artificially intelligent wrestling analyst. Who may in fact become a weekly reporter at WrestleNomics.com. More on the Ring of Honor and Kelly Klein lawsuit. That, maybe more, probably not. But first, it's a new month in the world of wrestling viewership. Raw this week did 1.9 million viewers, about 760,000 of those in the 18 to 49 demographic. Raw once again swept the top three spots which each, with each of its three hours in cable on Monday night. That rating of 1.9 million viewers, or that viewership, I should say, 1.9 million viewers was pretty much equal from last week. However, viewers in the 18 to 34 demographic, the young adults, almost up 50%, almost up 50% in that demographic, offset by declines apparently in the 35 to 49 demographic. Why? Why was the young audience apparently more interested than usual in WWE Raw on this past Monday night? I don't know, but maybe it was due to the countdown that was on the screen building up the Bobby Lashley versus Miz match that was to happen at the 9 o'clock hour, then postponed to the end of the show. Was that a bait and switch? Well, you be the judge, and maybe future viewership in coming weeks will will bear that out. Uh, was Bad Bunny, someone asked me, uh, the result of the increase, uh, the appearances of Bad Bunny, the result of the increase in viewership for Raw this week? And I don't think so. If you look at uh, the episodes since Bad Bunny has been appearing on Raw, which started, I believe, about February 1st, the young demographics uh, for Raw have been pretty much normal, if anything, slightly down on the whole, and only this week did the young viewership demographics increase to this degree. Then Impact Wrestling on Tuesday night with a total viewership of 134,000 viewers. Yes, 134,000 viewers, which is down from what they normally do, down 22% from the median of the last four weeks. Basically, I'm, that means that it was down 22% from what they normally do. I might be talking about the median of the last four weeks a lot in the future, just as an example of what's normal for this program. Anyway, 
1849 demo rating was down as well to a similar degree. When we're talking about Impact Wrestling's demographic rating, which is the information that we have on hand from Showbiz Daily, uh, the demographic rating is uh, in the 100th decimal place. So I don't want to talk in too definite terms about what exactly it means, but it does look like the 1849 viewership was down also. Then Wednesday night, AEW Dynamite on TNT, of course, going head-to-head with WWE NXT on the USA Network. AEW doing 934,000 viewers, short of a million overall over the entire course of the program, peaking in the very beginning for the opening quarter where Shaquille O'Neal teamed up with Jade Cargill to go against Cody Rhodes and Red Velvet. That quarter doing 1.1 million viewers. 1.1 million viewers for the Shaq match. Yes, Shaq went through a table. Uh, 1.1 million viewers, 450,000 of those in the 18 to 49 demographic. This was how was this the most viewed quarter in AEW history? No. Uh, let's see. What? Where does this rank? Actually, the most viewed quarter for AW Dynamite ever was the first quarter in the program's history that did 1.6 million viewers. In fact, every quarter of that debut program on October 2nd did more than 1.3 million viewers. The entire program. The, the following episode, the first three, well, the first two quarters, both did 1.1 million viewers on the th- Let's see, the fourth program also did about 1.2 million viewers on October 16th. But other than that, I think that is, those are the the segments that do higher than this Shaq quarter did. So among the highest ever, among the most ever viewed quarters of AEW Dynamite, I think it's interesting that that AEW chose to open the program with the Shaq match, probably thinking they had a a big lead-in from whatever came before it, and figure you could uh, get some people who were watching from the lead-in to continue to watching and, and try to sample AEW with Shaq there. Uh, viewership did decline throughout in the total audience throughout the rest of the program. However, uh, averaging 934,000 934, viewers throughout, um, 18 to 49 viewership seems to have held up better, averaging 424,000 throughout the program. NXT, on the other hand, uh, did okay, despite going against a big program from AEW Dynamite. Uh, NXT did 692,000 viewers, 259,000 of those in the 18-49 demographic. Uh, that 18-49 viewership was actually up for NXT by 29% compared to the median of the last four, compared to what they normally do, up 29% in 18-49. Up 28% with women 18 to 49, and up 33% with adults 18 to 34. So that young audience was was up quite a bit for NXT. However, their P50, here's the lead, the P50 uh, audience, P50 plus for NXT, was down 20%. And guess what? For one of the first times ever, and for the second time ever that we can actually verify that we have records for, uh, AEW overcame... NXT among adults aged 50 or older for only the second time ever that we know. Um, I do get a, some uh, Nielsen data uh, quarterly or so 
That gives me additional information about what all these wrestling programs do. But what I don't ever get from anywhere but Showbiz Daily is the P50 Plus data. And the weeks where NXT does not finish in the top 50 for the 18 to 49, we don't get a lot of the other demographic information that we usually get for programs that do finish in the top 50. So there have been quite a few weeks uh, over the last several months at least where NXT did not finish in the top 50, so we don't know what it did for P50+. Plus. But again, this is only the second time ever that we know of where NXT did not beat AEW, uh, which is the the demo, the lone demo that uh, NXT consistently leads AEW on. SmackDown last week, Friday, did a very normal 2 million flat for their uh, last week, Friday program. 707,000 viewers in the 18-49 demo. So SmackDown still the most viewed program overall all in terms of total audience, but it was edged out by Raw in 18 to 49 viewers. But anyway, to go back to the Wednesday night wars, don't call them wars, but go back to the Wednesday night competition. There are reports this week that NXT may be moving nights after WrestleMania, may be moving out of the Wednesday night time slot, maybe into a Tuesday night time slot on the USA Network. This is according to the Matt Men podcast. This was also followed up by a report from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. I've asked around about this also and uh, have not gotten an answer. I asked WB about it, did not get a response. So I don't know. I'm at least not getting a denial that it's happening. But we did get uh, some word from Nick Khan on the February 4th earnings call, where he seemed to be pretty confident that the move of sports programming from the NBC Sports Network, which is folding, at the end of this year, a lot of that sports program is moving to the USA Network. He was asked about this on the conference call on February 4th. Nick Khan, the president and chief revenue officer for WWE, he said that that move of sports programming from the NBC Sports Network to the USA Network would not affect Raw or NXT. That made me think that NXT would not be moving away from Wednesday night, but reports now that maybe it will be. Moving to Tuesday night, if NXT moves to Tuesday night, that means it would run head-to-head with Impact Wrestling, which does a fraction of the viewership, but that would probably not be good for Impact Wrestling. What would, what would these changes, if this is the future that we have, this is reported to be possibly happening after WrestleMania, WrestleMania is uh, April 10th and 11th, if NXT moves to Tuesday, what would that mean for NXT? What would that mean for AEW Dynamite? What would that mean for Impact Wrestling? Well, if we look back on the time over uh, August and September where NXT and AEW did not run head-to-head, where really at the same time they were preempted. So we have basically what, I, what I'm interested in taking a look at is, you know, what's the viewership going to be like if AEW runs alone? What's the viewership going to be like for NXT if, if it runs unopposed by AEW? What's the viewership going to look like for Impact if it has to run against head-to-head uh, with NXT? I think, by the way, that Impact, this is just speculation, what I think will happen. I don't have any information, but I think Impact will end up moving and probably to Thursday night because there's no wrestling program on Thursday night, but there is on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So... I think that's what happened. If, if NXT moves to Tuesday, Impact will jump to avoid it to Thursday. Why do I think that? Because there are two cases on September 1st and September 8th of last year 
where NXT moved to Tuesday due to preemptions on the USA Network, I think due to hockey games uh, on the USA Network. And NXT ran head-to-head with Impact in Impact's normal time slot. So where NXT was not in its normal time slot, but Impact was still in its normal time slot. So still in the comfort zone for Impact. But people perhaps had to go out of their way to watch NXT on Tuesday night. What did that do to Impact's viewership? Well, on September 1st, it resulted in a 36% lower viewership versus the, f- the previous four weeks. The following week, for Impact, it resulted in a 50%. Viewership essentially fell in half versus what it normally does. Impact Wrestling's viewership fell in half on September 8th compared to what it normally does. If you average the effect across those two instances that we have, it means you can expect about a 43% drop in Impact viewership. That's for the total audience. For 18 to 49, it'd be a 35% decline based on what happened on September 1st and 8th. In 18 to 34, though, a 53% drop over those two programs. 53% in 18 to 34. So the younger people dropping even more aggressively when opposed by NXT. And those demo numbers are, are based on viewer counts, not on the, the less precise demo ratings that are pretty close to zero for, for impact when we're talking about viewership that is, let's say, under 200,000. So it would be a pretty negative impact, if you will, to Impact's viewership if they chose to stay on Tuesday night on Access and run head-to-head with, with NXT. If, if this happens, if, if this happens and NXT actually does move to Tuesday nights on the USA Network. What would this mean for AEW, though? We have two instances during that preemption time where NXT ran unopposed on Wednesday night, and we have two instances of where AEW ran unopposed on Wednesday night. Again, this is all from... For, for NXT, this is August 19th and August 26th. For AEW, this is September 2nd and September 9th. And I'm interested in, in trying to think, trying to predict, you know, what, what will their viewership be like when they're not opposed head-to-head by their competition? I really I want to look at the, the instances, not where they were preempted to other nights that were not their normal time slot, but instances where their competition was preempted and they stayed in their normal time slot. So NXT, we have two instances where it stayed on Wednesday night and where AEW was, was preempted elsewhere. NXT's viewership was 29% higher and 24% higher. So that evens out to 26%. You can expect basically a a 25% increase in viewership for NXT. So it's not the case that, you know, whatever viewership AEW's got, uh, all those viewers are going to go over and watch NXT on, on Tuesday night. That's not what happened anyway. Uh, in these cases where AEW was on a different night other than Wednesday and NXT was still on its normal time slot. It's not as if uh, NXT inherited half of the audience or most of the audience, they got, but they did get a sizable jump, a real, real bump of 25%. Uh, that's in total audience. In 18 to 49 viewers, in both cases, the increase was 34, or I'm sorry, 37%. So more than a third in 18 to 49. So th- those are pretty big increases. But again, not as if it's going to uh, to double their viewership. For AEW, the jump uh, was significant also, but seems to be slightly smaller. AEW on September 1st and September 9th, its total audience improved by 13% and by 
4%. That averages out to 19%. So you can expect maybe somewhere around a 20% increase in viewership for AEW if it has a run on Wednesday unopposed head-to-head by NXT, about a 20% increase. So what we're saying here is, you know, maybe this this gives NXT, if NXT doesn't have to go head-to-head with, with AEW or, or any wrestling program, it, it can expect about a 25% jump, 25% improvement on its viewership. And AEW can expect about a 20, about 20% jump on its viewership. NXT can expect an, an even larger increase, maybe by about one-third in its 18 to 49 audience, which NXT, or which AEW has really uh, increased its lead on over a, over NXT. Uh, AEW has really taken the lead on 18 to 49 viewers. AEW at that time had a 15%, 14% increase in 18 to 49 viewers when it was unopposed. So if this happens, if the Tuesday night move for NXT happens, you can expect better viewership for NXT, better viewership for AEW. And if Impact doesn't move, which I expect it will, if this happens, you, you can expect uh, Impact's viewership to fall almost in half, or maybe by you know a third to as much as a half. But I expect that if this happens, that Impact will move to Thursday. And you will have wrestling on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, and on Friday, every night of the week, wrestling for all five days of the weekday. And uh, pay-per-views on Sundays or Saturdays or whatever. Wrestling every night of the week, just about. A lot of New Japan shows on uh, happen on weekends too, right? And maybe New Japan will, who knows? Maybe New Japan will end up on Access someday soon too. Other things the WrestleNomics Econobot is working on, a trailing 13 weeks median versus the same 13 weeks of the week prior. What is that for? That's to check on, is the decline of the given wrestling program better, same, or worse than the, than the decline of TV overall? And as usual, we are using as our stand-in for TV overall, we use the top 50 non-news cable programs. That is a daily average. And what we have in that comparison is everybody is doing uh, better, holding up better, less negative than the top 50 non-news cable programs. Uh, the best by this view in terms of total audience, we'll talk about Key Demo. Don't worry, we'll talk about Key Demo in a moment. Uh, a negative 9% for AEW and uh, SmackDown. Meanwhile, the top 50 non-news cable programs are doing a negative 21%. So again, AEW and SmackDown holding up the best with a decline of 9%. Following that, a decline of 13% for both Impact Wrestling and NXT. And then coming the closest to the decline of TV overall is Raw with 19%. But again, all of those holding up better than the negative 21%. That is the top 50 non-news cable. But what about the key demo? Uh, everybody is holding up better than the than TV overall in the key demo of 18 to 49, except for a uh, similar story to what I've talked about before on this program, except for NXT. NXT is just slightly, slightly down lower. Negative uh, 30% for NXT, a negative 29% for top 50 non-news cable. So one point lower. NXT is doing one point lower in the key demo than cable overall. Uh, everybody else, though, uh, who's doing the best 
AEW and Impact both down 7%, again, compared to TV overalls, negative 29%, negative 29%, AEW and Impact down 7%, SmackDown down 18%, Raw down 25%, again, TV overall down 29%. So Raw coming close, but not doing as badly as non-news cable is. And of course, NXT doing just one point worse than top 50 non-news cable. What's happening there? It's, it's my opinion. And by, you know, if you study the data, you can see that uh, it looks like after the pandemic, at least that uh, before the pandemic, 1849 audiences for AEW and NXT were much more competitive than they are now. It appears that through the spring and or the summer, there was a decision made by many viewers between the ages of 18 to 49, at least on linear, that they were going to spend more of their watch time watching AEW and not NXT. So I think that's what's happening there, and that's what accounts for this apparent significant decline with NXT versus the other programs. But yes, that the WrestleNomics Economist Robot will we'll come up with some, some stupid gimmick name to give that. Um, that I will, I'll probably have to take a trademark out on. This will be quite expensive. We'll have to dig into the, the WrestleNomics budget, which, yes, is a real spreadsheet that I tend to often. Um, but no, uh, there's, I, I may, may do something where I post a weekly ratings update that basically spits out a lot of automated information that will be in the form of an article, in the, in the form of written English to some extent. Uh, don't, don't expect beautiful prose, but uh, I may produce a a recurring uh, ratings report that is automatically generated, artificially intelligent. Look for that maybe in the future. Currently in the, in the developing beta stages. And before we get to W Network user account migration, we can talk about AEW pay-per-view real quick here. Since there is an AEW pay-per-view happening, about to start as I record this, will certainly be finished by the time anyone listens to this. There is on WrestleNomics.com a chart that charts uh, the pay-per-view buys for every AEW pay-per-view that has so far happened. There so far have been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven pay-per-views. Tonight will be the eighth pay-per-view in AEW history. Uh, Last pay-per-view, Full Gear 2020, on November 7th, I believe, did about 85,000 buys. Um... So will Revolution do better or worse than 85,000 buys? I believe Revolution 2020, that's last year's Revolution pay-per-view. Tonight is Revolution 2021. But last year's Revolution pay-per-view, I believe, did 90,000 buys. The highest uh, buy, you can't say buy rate. Don't say buy rate. That means something different. That's a basically a percentage of the pay-per-view universe. No one taught, There's no such thing as a buy rate these days, only back in the day. But anyway, the the highest number of pay-per-view buys or pay-per-view sales for an AEW pay-per-view at this point was Double or Nothing 2020, which I think did around 105,000 buys. 105,000 buys, I believe, is the AEW record. Again, that is for Double or Nothing 2020, a, a show that happened in the pandemic era, by the way. And by the way, most of this, this promotion at this point, AEW, has happened in the pandemic era. Can you believe that? As we come up on one year 
not only since I have shaved my legs, but one year since uh, wrestling has been affected, wrestling events have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. And by the way, if you look at this chart that's on WrestleNomics.com, if you go into the resources section, you go into that drop down and it shows you uh, some menu options, you can click on AEW pay-per-view buys. That's where this this chart is. And it shows what I think the buys are compared to the latest Wrestling Observer newsletter report. And all of my uh, estimates, BT estimate, by the way, stands for Brandon Thurston. All of my estimates are lower than the latest Wrestling Observer newsletter report. And people often ask me, why is that? Um, I will say that I think all of the reporting on AEW pay-per-view buys have been based on certain assumptions about what an early pay-per-view did for buys, and I think a lot of the information is based on indirect information saying, oh, it did, compared to this one, it did this well. It did about this much compared to that one. And I can say that the, I don't know, the original variable that I'm basing my estimates on, which I think that's what, I think that's what either myself or the observer are doing here. We're basically making estimates. Uh, I think my original assumption that all these subsequent numbers are based on is just slightly lower than the assumption that the observer is using. Ultimately, the, the changes over time, if you ran an R-squared on these two series of data here between what, what I think the buy rate is, oh, I said buy rate, what I think the buys are and what the observer thinks the buys are, if you ran uh, an R-squared on that, uh, it's just about one, so it's just about a perfect relationship. So in, in other words, these numbers are all relative, the, the, the change over time in the buys are all relatively the same. Uh, although this is a number that is tied to revenue. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value a complete view of all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, 
Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You know, buys do generate revenue. And if you were to do an estimate about how, how much pay revenue each of these events made, you would end up with less revenue if you used my numbers versus the observers. Nonetheless, by the way, how much does AEW generate on pay-per-view for a single event? If we... If we, which is a complicated thing to try to estimate, it's not, it's not the just one mathematical step because there's probably various splits over various regions depending on the region and the carrier. But let's say the average AEW pay per view does, let's say, eighty five thousand buys, and multiply that by, let's say, the average price paid by the end consumer. And again, I know it's fifty dollars in the U.S. and and probably other. Uh, major countries, large countries, but that's uh, probably lower in some international, some non-U.S. countries. Let's say the average buy price is, let's say, $42. Who knows? And let's say the average split is, let's say, I don't know, I'm tempted to say 42%, even though that's the same. Let's say, I don't know, 40, 41%. So that would be, let's say, uh, 85,000 buys times $42. And then you give 41% of that to AEW. So they're totally just estimates, not based on any real information that I know. But that equals about $1.5 million in revenue, in net revenue for AEW. More for the provider, though, based on that assumption that that. that that is uh, what I believe to be the case. Is that the uh, you know it's about a fifty-five to forty-five percent, uh, about a fifty-five forty-five split in favor of the carrier, which is why WWE right, <laughs> part of why WWE decided to launch the network because they didn't like that they were getting unfavorable splits for their pay-per-views. But about I don't know about somewhere around in the neighborhood in the ballpark of a million and a half dollars generated just on pay-per-view for an AEW pay-per-view now as of some context where's the ceiling here if i'm a wrestlemania in the pre-network era and i sell a million buys at let's say an average price of 45 dollars with an average split of i don't know 42 percent i end up with almost 19 19 million dollars for a, a wrestlemania in the pre-network era almost 19 million dollars and, and again, maybe for an AEW pay-per-view, somewhere around a million and a half dollars in net revenue to the promotion. If I'm a typical W pay-per-view in the pre-network era, somewhere around 300,000 buys, well, it's about, you know, 70% lower, right? So if we take that number and multiply it by 30%, we get about five and a half million dollars on a typical pre-network pay-per-view for WWE that does, let's say, 300,000 buys. Five and a half million dollars, roughly, again, compared to this AEW doing 
somewhere around 85,000 buys doing 1.5-ish million dollars in net revenue. Just to give us some idea of the kind of uh, revenue being generated here. None of that, of course, taking into account ticket sales, which for a, a big event can be, you know, pay-per-view, you can, you can sell your biggest ticket sales. Uh, AEW is doing that to an extent with limited capacity, but uh, obviously that's not happening much in COVID, COVID times. Uh, and of course, there's merchandise revenue that's generated at an event as well. Not to mention sponsors. WrestleMania brought to you by Snickers and things of that nature. And then the WWE Network moves to Peacock on March 18th, just 11 days from when I'm recording this. The WWE Network is no longer in the U.S. In the U.S. only, this does not affect you if you do not live in the U.S. But the WWE Network content, including the pay-per-views, move away from the direct-to-consumer service that is the W Network and onto NBC Universal streaming service, Peacock, beginning on March 18th. And uh, it doesn't look like that the user account migration is going to be automatic. There is a, uh, a FAQ on WD.com in the, in the help section about the, uh, the move of the network to Peacock. And um, among those questions is one that reads, I'm currently a WWE Network subscriber. What should I do? And the answer is, quote, starting in April, Peacock will be the exclusive streaming home of WWE Network. Until then, you can keep watching directly on WWE Network, as long as you have an active subscription. You can also create a Peacock account to stream WWE Network on Peacock beginning March 18th. Note, WrestleMania on April 10 and 11 will only be available to stream on Peacock. Be on the lookout for an email with more specific directions on when and how to sign up for Peacock, end quote. So I think particularly that last part to be on the lookout for an email with more specific directions on when and how to sign up for Peacock is if you will have to manually do that. Uh, it sounds like user account migration will not be automatic, uh, I, I did have an NBCU spokesperson get back to me last week and said they would, you know, would have more information soon, uh, but I haven't heard back from them. And I did 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 follow up, but haven't heard back yet. Um, so it does look like uh, Fastlane will be on both the W Network and Peacock. So Fastlane is March twenty first. The change happens three days prior on March eighteenth. Again, Fastlane happens on the twenty first. And Fastlane will be apparently on both the W Network and Peacock. But by WrestleMania, you're going to have to manually sign up for this thing uh, for, for Peacock, which, which is $4.99 if, if you uh, accept the ads, and it's $9.99 if uh, you, you want the tier that doesn't have ads. So, so there, there might be uh, some, some loss in subscribers in terms of those converting from using the network directly as it exists currently to to those who will be uh, moving or not moving in this case to Peacock. Um, I, I do think a lot of people are going to go through the friction of manually signing up for the network um, or for, for Peacock rather. I think, I, I, I guess if, if they're not doing it, if they're not doing it in an automatic migration, it, I guess it must be the case that it's just not as easy as it sounds like it like it might be, um, 
it, w- it wouldn't be in anybody's interest to not do an automatic uh, migration of accounts. So it, it just must be some kind of a technological difficulty that makes it not not feasible or not possible. Um, uh, one person at WWE told me that they really don't know what's going on. They were told that there was supposed to be an auto-migration uh, as well. And that Fastlane was originally supposed to be just on Peacock exclusively, but then it was changed to being on both Peacock and the W Network. So from a, more of a business uh, point of view, I think this raises, raises additional questions about um, just how NBC Universal is going to recognize whether or not their acquisition of the rights to this content is beneficial to them. Um, does does NBC Universal and or WWE does does WWE give NBC Universal a lot of data that will allow NBC Universal to make some determinations about whether or not uh, the users have migrated over? By that I mean, is there data to uniquely identify subscribers so that NBC Universal can then see who's using their service and see oh we've got. We've got uh, this percentage of W Network subscribers uh, who have converted over. Um, And externally, this raises questions about how investors or potential partners or pundits will will measure success. Nick Khan on the February 4th earnings conference call said that uh, he was asked something along these lines, along those lines of a question. And he said that, well, it's the three R's. It's it's revenue. Relevance and ratings, which uh, I guess revenue means the amount of ad revenue that Peacock is able to drive because of W content, the amount of subscriber revenue that Peacock is able to drive because of W content. Uh, The ad revenue will be pretty directly tied to WWE, but I doubt that will ever be disclosed. That's NBCU information, and NBCU is part of a, a much larger company called Comcast, and they're not breaking down details like that for NBC Universal. Uh, so that's revenue in, in the three R's. The second R, relevance. I'm not really sure what that refers to. <laughs> uh, relevance. Popularity. I, 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 that, that sounds very much, though, how do you, how do you measure relevance with, with the third R, I guess? Ratings. Uh, so Peacock will almost certainly know you know, how, how much view time, how many viewers are, are viewing the pay-per-views, for example, and how much time the other W content, uh, how much that is being consumed. Uh, they will almost certainly have that information. But again, that's NBC Universal information. I doubt that's going to be disclosed. So how is WWE going to make clear to its investors and make clear to potential partners? I mean, let's say in... Uh, in a few years from now, when the Peacock deal is coming to the end of its term, how does how does WWE have data that it can then present to potential partners to say, you know, this is uh, this is what our performance was like. This is what we brought to Peacock, uh, and, and this is what we could bring to you if you make a good deal with us. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe internally they, they do get some of that information. I imagine that they'll, that information will probably be shared with WWE so that they know what's working and not working. But uh, it's just. Not clear how it will be evident to people on the outside, investors. That's important to investors who uh, W would like them to give them money that they invest in their company. Um, but it also raises the question about you know, what is uh, what short-term incentives does W have 
that encourages them to put on great shows. Is there any kind of revenue incentive in the short term? Does, uh, does WWE get any kind of share of the ad revenue? Or is it just a, a five-year deal that uh, you know, WWE just hopes that it keeps its brand strong and its content popular so that uh, when, the, when the deal is getting close to its end, that it's able to negotiate another favorable deal, whether that's with Peacock or with another partner? I don't know. But it's just not clear how pundits on the outside, like maybe the host of this program, will evaluate the success of, of this of this move to Peacock or the success of any of the the pay-per-views in particular, like WrestleMania. Uh, how do we know whether lots of people watched it or fewer people watched it if we don't have any information to tie to it? Like we have at least you know, we don't have we don't have pay-per-view buys being reported anymore, but we would at least in the case of WrestleMania get the the number of subscribers who are subscribing to WrestleMania as of the day after and we would get quarterly updates on how many subscribers are subscribing to the W network. Um, will we get any information to reflect the value of the performance of that content in the future? We'll see. There there is at least I'll, I'll I'll read the tea leaves of Google web search, I guess, if nothing else. And then Speaking of WrestleMania, I guess we are now uh, almost one month, just over 30 days away from WrestleMania, which will be a two-day event on April 10th and 11th at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay. Of course, WWE is currently doing the Thunderdome tapings, production out of Tropicana Field, also in Tampa, Florida, uh, but going to Raymond James Stadium where the Super Bowl was uh, earlier this year. No plan yet, no announcement at least, about what ticket sales will be like, what safety procedures will be like. Apparently, tickets will be put on sale for WrestleMania. At least that's the last we've heard from WWE. But no announcement yet. So no plan yet. Apparently, this is even delaying the uh, the design and construction of the stage, of the set for WrestleMania. But in other news, in the TV rights outlook... The TV Rights Watch, uh, NFL currently negotiating deals with its various broadcast partners. Uh, according to Sports Business Journal, NBC Universal is expected to give the NFL a 2x increase in a new deal for Sunday Night Football, doubling the rights fees of what uh, NBC Universal currently gives the NFL for Sunday Night Football. And I think there are multiple r- ways to read this, either that the market for uh, live sports is healthy because NFL is getting a raise or the raises for the NFL are getting so big that uh, NBC will have less uh, funds available to give to other properties, maybe including the, the uh, WWE someday. Well, WWE will be up for renegotiation probably sometime in 2022 and 2023 because Raw, uh, the deal that WWE has for Raw uh, will be expiring in September. 2024 NXT uh, that that will be expiring this September and uh, probably negotiations happening ongoing between WB and NBC Universal for NXT and where NXT ends up on the schedule may be related to that but the Sports Business Journal also reporting that Fox might drop Thursday Night Football which would leave Amazon to pick up 
if not all, some of the rights to exclusive rights to Thursday night football games. Uh, This would be the the first time that Amazon would have exclusive broadcast rights to an NFL game. They have been doing some simulcasting of NFL games on Amazon Prime and on Twitch. Amazon owns Twitch as well. But as far as the the four major team sports in uh, in the U.S., that would be the first time that I'm I'm pretty sure it is the first time. If if that happens, if if Amazon gets exclusive rights to some Thursday night NFL games, which looks to be the case, this was a prediction, by the way, uh, by Nick Khan, which uh, he made in an interview, I think with Sports Business Journal, with maybe it was the New York Post. Post anyway, uh, if Amazon has exclusive rights to NFL games, that would be the first time I think that a major team sport in the U.S. Uh, is going to be broadcast, have some of its games broadcast by a digital player, if you will, a non a, a non-linear TV channel. And so that is not a TV channel that is either on cable or on broadcast, but through streaming only. Which in some ways would make one optimistic about the value of about the market for sports rights if uh, if major tech companies like Amazon are willing to make bids for sports properties could the fang companies, other fang companies, so the fang companies are Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, could more of those companies, in addition to Amazon, get interested in live sports? If so, that would lead one to think that there's an even stronger market for live sports out there if the, the companies interested in those properties are not just uh, major television networks or companies that own major television networks. In other words, other words could... WWE or maybe even AEW or other wrestling companies someday negotiate the rights for their major programs to not just the likes of NBC Universal or Fox or Turner, that is Warner Media, TNT, TBS, but maybe even to Amazon to be to be exclusively broadcast on Amazon Prime or on Twitch or on YouTube, maybe even or what. Facebook Watch, I guess. I'd, Apple seems to be the one furthest away from that, I would think. that Apple hasn't done... I don't think Apple has done any sort of live broadcast yet. Obviously, Facebook has experimented a little bit with fat Facebook Watch. Uh, Amazon seems to be the, the player that is most deeply involved in this. Uh, maybe Netflix will will make a, a play into the live programming uh, world someday, but they're certainly not doing that at this point. Netflix's brand, as far as I can tell, is very much scripted video on demand content or, or documentaries. So that that seems to be a little bit off into the future at this point. But Amazon is uh, looking to be the one that will pick up Thursday night football games, some of them at least, exclusively. And then in a follow-up to something we talked about last week, uh, former Ring of Honor wrestler Kelly Klein has sued Ring of Honor. We talked about that last week. Uh, Klein is looking to recover uh, damages related to lost wages, medical bills, and attorney fees, alleging uh, she made various allegations in her uh, complaint against Ring of Honor and its parent, Sinclair Broadcasting, related to the lack of safety in the uh, the working environment, sexual harassment, uh, pay related to royalties that she did not receive, and she alleges that she was paid paid unfairly because she was a woman and she alleges that she was misclassified 
as an independent contractor when, in fact, she was an employee. So additionally, we have a, a new lawsuit now from uh, Adam Birch, also known as Joey Mercury. Reportedly, this, this comes from WrestleZone. Uh, I cannot find the public filing yet. Uh, these, these lawsuits apparently are happening in Maryland. Uh, certainly, the, the Klein case is. But I, can, I have not yet found the, uh, the complaint related to the, the Joey Mercury uh, lawsuit, which seems to be very similar to the, to the Kelly Klein complaint in terms of alleging that uh, there was misclassification and that there was an unsafe working environment. Uh, Adam Birch slash Joey Mercury also alleging that he was uh, paid substantially less compared to others who worked in similar jobs in the industry. Uh, Joey Mercury was a, a producer, agent, trainer for Ring of Honor until uh, the end of 2019, until I believe October 2019. But I did get the chance to show the Klein complaint to a few lawyers, uh, none of whom, though, I should note, are experienced in Maryland law. But uh, all of them did think that there's you know, some strength in the argument related to misclassification. But uh, it looks like if th- there, there's a big issue here around arbitration, which seems to be part of the uh, the uh, the contracts that uh, both Kelly Klein and Joy Mercury signed with Ring of Honor. So uh, arbitration is something that they agreed to in the contract. And if the case uh, does go to arbitration, it would probably not go in the favor of the plaintiffs. Arbiters tend to be very business friendly, and it might even be in the plaintiff's interest to drop the case if it does go in that direction to avoid the high expense uh, of uh, fighting the case in arbitration in which uh, the plaintiff is unlikely to prevail. Uh, if it doesn't go to arbitration, though, if the court rules that uh, it doesn't go to arbitration, then it seems likely that the court will make a ruling on whether or not the plaintiffs are employees or independent contractors, in which case Ring of Honor slash Sinclair might be uh, very compelled to settle out of court to avoid a ruling on classification, which would uh, put the the talent contracts that they have with various talent uh, at risk of being invalidated. But it's interesting now that we apparently have two cases. Again, I'm, I'm still looking for the public filing on the Joey Mercury case, but we have looks like two cases with very similar complaints. I don't know that that more will follow, though, that will turn this into into class action, but who knows. Uh, But definitely something we'll continue to watch here. I I don't think that this is going to lead to, like, some huge precedent for the wrestling industry that, you know, this is going to be a landmark case that finally shows that legally wrestlers can't be classified as independent contractors and that they are employees. Uh, I I don't think that that's going to be the result of this. in, in all likelihood, this just could, you know, in maybe a best case scenario, this just ends up with, um, you know, the plaintiffs getting some sum of money as part of a settlement. And I think anything that really affects, uh, let's say, WWE's uh, situation with uh, worker classification, I think that would take a larger investigation or, more unlikely, <laughs> a uh, a unionization of, of wrestlers, which I think is... Uh, unlikely to happen, just just given the uh, the economic incentives and the power dynamics of of the wrestling industry. So that's about all I have for this week. Going a little bit shorter than normal, but I'm going to try to maybe I'm going to try to catch this AEW pay per view. We'll see. 
But look for me soon uh, as part of the post-wrestling uh, network of podcasts. I just finished doing a, a special guest appearance with W.H. Park uh, on the long and winding Royal Road, uh, talking about the December 6, 1996 All Japan Pro Wrestling World Tag League Final between the teams of Junakiyama and Misarumasawa against Akira Tawe and Toshiaki Kawada, one of the, uh, the all-time classics uh, in All Japan in the 90s, and really of all time. If you want to hear me, uh, rarely as I do, uh, talk about actual wrestling, and not just wrestling business, uh, look for that coming out soon. It's part of a, a really great series if you're uh, familiar or just learning about All Japan in the 90s. Uh, it's a great series of podcasts on a great era of wrestling, the long and winding Royal Road, which I believe is, is a part of the, uh, the, the free feed for post-wrestling. But anyway, you can also find some written work on WrestleNomics.com, how the WWE Network launch affected Raw and SmackDown rights negotiations in 2014. That is a new blog post that was just posted this past weekend. I have a longer evaluation on the, the whole history, the business uh, strategy overall of the W Network, all seven years, just looking back on, was it a success? What were the financial effects? That's coming out later this week on the W Network on WrestleNomics.com for free, ad-free, for everybody. Learn about the business. You can support at Patreon.com slash WrestleNomics for just $5 a month. This week, we've got a, another notebook here with a lot of tables uh, showing uh, visual aids to a lot of what I talked about earlier in the program with uh, the viewership for AEW, NXT, and Impact in terms of how will they be affected if NXT moves to Tuesday and if NXT runs unopposed by wrestling and AEW runs unopposed by wrestling and what would happen if Impact uh, had to go head-to-head with NXT, which it did on two occasions. You can also follow WrestleNomics on Twitter, at WrestleNomics. You can follow me on Twitter, at Brandon Thurston. I'm Brandon Thurston. I will talk to you next time.